Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. back everyone to another great episode of reconsider part of the agora podcast network where we don't do the thinking for you today's episode so you want to impeach a president we are going to be talking through some limited actual details of the current impeachment proceedings before we get into it just want to make clear that we are not a news chasing shop we did that once we learned our lesson we're not an opinion or speculation shop. We've never done that. So we're going to keep speculation to a minimum. We're even going to keep like news chasing to a minimum. You know, we're going to bring up a little bit of what we know through October 5th, 2019, uh, because it'll be relevant. But this is not meant to be a co- comprehensive summary of what's going on right now, because there's a lot. So, but that's that. But you all want to know about impeachment. So we're going to talk about it. So Xander, why are we talking about impeachment today? Should we do housekeeping real quick? Oh, yeah, we can do housekeeping real quick. Yeah, you know, folks, if you enjoy the show, we just had our 100th episode. We'd love, if you wouldn't mind, contributing a buck an episode. It helps us with marketing, helps us keep the show going. You can go to patreon.com slash reconsider. We tweet a fair amount at ReconsiderPod. We engage with folks and take listener suggestions fairly regularly. We've at this point now, almost four years into it, made a lot of shows based on what listeners have wanted. So tweet at us, interact with us at Facebook too. Now on to it. So why are we talking about impeaching the president? Well, you see, the president had this call with another president, the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky. And depending on what tribe you're with, you either think this phone call is a really big deal or just not a problem at all. 100%, 100% perfect phone call. Yeah, exactly. It's It was the best phone call ever. But on this phone call, President Trump asked, and I mean, really, at least based on the transcript we have, it seems like he was pressuring Zelensky to investigate whether or not there's any wrongdoing or illegality with Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden. And the thing is, Hunter Biden got a job at this big natural gas producer in Ukraine called Burisma. And a lot of people were saying, well, Hunter Biden doesn't have a lot of experience in in this sort of industry and he's getting paid a lot of money. So why did he get this job? And that's what President Trump was having or asking Zelensky to look into. And we should talk about Joe and Hunter here because ultimately, depending on which news source you read, it's either all about Trump or all about Biden. And, you know, we we like... Why, why did this phone call happen? Like, why did Trump think this was a good idea? 
And ultimately, what happened was that, you know, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, got a job on the board with Burisma, which is the largest natural gas provider in Ukraine. And why did that happen? It was the topic of Mr. Trump's questions. And the I, I searched around for a long time, and there's a lot of a uh, lot of like different opinions on whether like whether Hunter Biden should be on the board of Burisma, and I frankly don't care because that's not my job. But the Christian Science Monitor, who we like for their fairly non-biased reporting, their perspective on it after working with a bunch of experts is that Hunter Biden joining the board seems to be in tandem with a bunch of other Westerners with like with kind of good names behind them joining the board in order to provide uh, like more legitimacy and more Western friendliness to Burisma so they can do more business with the West. You can go down that article. We've linked to all this stuff, of course. So you can go down that article and read about the origins of Burisma. You know, there's some there are opinions that it it has some shady beginnings and that it is trying to clean up its reputation. And so is Hunter Biden being on the board going to help them with their objective? Maybe, maybe not at this point, but maybe that was the idea. Does that make him fit? Who knows? And the real question that President Trump had was like whether there was any like bribery or other shady dealings going on from Joe Biden specifically to Ukraine to say like, hey, man, here's some like here's some stuff. Can you get my boy in this lucrative board gig? There's no particular evidence of that specific thing happening. And yeah, and like whether this was an ethical decision depends on a lot what depends a lot on what you think were like Burisma's motives or or Hunter's motives uh, going into it. And, you know, whether any American at all should be cashing in for for this kind of cleaning up of reputation part. The other thing that Trump was asking about real quick was uh, that Joe Biden voiced the desire to fire a certain prosecutor in Ukraine. And was this related to Burisma? And it turns out that a bunch of people in the EU actually call for this guy to be fired. Apparently, he's corrupt, or at least according to the people in the EU calling for him to be fired, he's corrupt. But one of the important facts here was that this prosecutor was not investigating Burisma. So uh, Joe Biden did not ask for a prosecutor who was investigating him or investigating his son to be fired. That did not happen. And you can follow Christian Science Monitor down that. So that's the that's what's going on there, and you know that all that dirty laundry is getting shaken out as well. But so this call happened, and there was a transcript released. It's a pretty rough transcript. It is the transcript is essentially just notes that were taken by a CIA note taker. So there's a lot of stuff that could potentially missing. And again, we'll have a link to this in the show notes. And if you listen to us on podcatchers like Apple iTunes or Google Play, come check out reconsiderMedia.com sometime because we do have a lot of additional links in our oh, yeah. show notes uh, to, ev- to all of the research that we put together for these shows so you can know where we're going for this stuff. So it's a rough transcript. Why is the call a problem? Well, one, it does seem like President Trump was asking for quote unquote, dirt, his words on Joe Biden and Joe Biden is running for president of the U.S. And 
You see, there are some problems with that, potentially. Ellen Weintraub, who is the head of the Federal Elections Commission, and that means her job is essentially to enforce all of these election laws, stated quite openly on her Twitter account recently two things. One, she highlighted that a law makes it, a law in the U.S. makes it, quote, illegal to request, accept, or receive help from a foreign national in a U.S. election, end quote. And that in, the, in her opinion, this law is unambiguous. Second, Weintraub claims that there are parts of the transcript that were released that are, quote, of interest, quote, to her. And she said, quote again, Indeed, the commission has received the broad scope of the foreign national contribution prohibition and found that even where the value of a good or service may be nominal or difficult to ascertain, such contributions are nevertheless banned. So in less wonky wonky speech, what she's saying is even if the monetary value of something that is received in exchange for electoral support by a foreign national is sort of hard to determine. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And so the, as part of the kind of strategy of defense, there is a counterclaim that value must be monetary. Even if you don't know when, when the law says that the value may be nominal or difficult to ascertain, the counterclaim is that the value has to be at least like translatable into monetary value even if you don't know what that number is in terms of dollars. And that's what they're saying is that like, is that actually what Trump is asking for does not have, cannot have any monetary value and therefore does not constitute value in this law. And so Congress may need to sit there with this law. Like if they're going after this in the impeachment, which they are, they may have to sit there with this law and say, does political dirt or does creating a scandal for an opponent, right? Which, which, Let's. I hope this is not controversial. Like, which would help the president in his election, right? Which would be of political help to the president in getting reelected. In particular, you know, if he's most worried about Joe Biden. But like, would creating a scandal about Joe Biden or having dirt about Joe Biden is that like is that one? Can you put a number on that? And two, do you need to put a number on that for for the president to be breaking this particular law, uh, federal election law? Um, and they will have to figure that out. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try to figure it out for them or for you. But uh, that may be, given that that's the defense strategy that seems to be emerging for the president here. You know, the other defense strategy being he's saying, "Well, I'm just you know asking them to investigate because it's corruption and corruption's bad, right? Like we should not have corruption, which is generally an acceptable statement. But it may not matter whether his intent was even primarily about corruption because. Uh, it is illegal to receive or accept that kind of help. So even if he's just incidentally received, like Congress has to decide whether, whether like it, it may, you know, Congress may not have to actually decide whether the president's intentions were good. They may instead have to just look at the law and say, well, regardless of your intentions or what you claim they were, you're receive, you are asking for stuff that turns into help for your campaign at a, you know, timing that is important here. And therefore, it is illegal anyway. So those those are the two defenses that are going up in the two ways that Congress has to deal with those. Right. And as Mr. Mackey would would say, you know, cor- corruption's bad. OK. OK. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like Trump has taken 
you know, a particular approach to dealing with this problem. And maybe this is on purpose and strategic, but he's essentially doubled down by asking both on Twitter and on national television that both China and Ukraine investigate Biden. So again, he's claiming that this is a corruption thing, but ultimately it may not matter what his intent was. And I actually, I read a political, a Politico article this morning that says that intent does matter, but it might not also. Asking a foreign power to do the investigating and subsequently getting some sort of benefit in exchange for that investigation may be enough to cross that line. Yeah, and asking China to do it in particular opens up a whole new can of worms because if it was happening in Ukraine, there is at least like kind of some plausible narrative to saying, hey, Ukraine, maybe you should look into this. You know, we have, there are those kinds of conversations that happen between powers all the time as as part of their, you know, diplomatic relationships. We go like, hey, we've, you know, we we have our nationals in your place and your nationals in our place and and they're doing stuff and we may have an ongoing investigation going on that would be supported by your investigation into what's going on in your country with these two people that are interacting, right? Like that that happens and that, that is not surprising. But then calling calling for China to also get involved is from a if you like take the politics out of it, like seems to be a bit of a head scratcher. It's like, oh, how how is China involved in Ukraine's natural gas provider and you know American and Western people on the board, none of whom are Chinese? That that part you kind of go like, hmm, you know, why is like what could Trump's intent be of getting China involved here? And so that you know, it was a it was an interesting it's an interesting strategy. What's it from dodgeball? Gutsy strategy. We'll see how it works out for him. Uh, <laughs> you can dodge a wrench. You, you can you, dodge a ball. Yeah, exactly. So, and the the third defense that the president has right now. So, so like, what's what's essentially the the charge of the allegation? The allegation has not yet been formalized by Congress. That is what impeachment is for. We'll talk about that in a sec. But like, what is the charge? The charge is that he is asking a foreign national, in particular, foreign government, for help in a U.S. election, which is illegal. And one of the interesting things about about Trump's defense right now is that he's saying there's no quid pro quo. Now, looking at the, you know, one of the things that uh, Ellen Weintraub, who again is the head of the FEC, she's she's not even bringing up the quid pro quo. I think her position on this is that it doesn't matter whether there is this quid pro quo, like it is still illegal to deal with it. That seems to be her position on it. But Trump is saying there's no quid pro quo. And so the quid pro quo, the implied quid pro quo accusation and I'm actually going to take quid pro quo out of it because one of the things one of the things that the president is very good at is like holding the frame of the conversation and saying like, oh, like whether or not it is quid pro quo is the thing that matters. And it's not sort of like with Russia. It's like the thing that matters is collusion. And the Democrats are like, oh, yeah, what matters is collusion. The Mueller report came out and like all this bad stuff was there. But there was not, quote unquote, collusion, which has a very specific definition. And so he's like, see, no collusion. And the Democrats had just like walked right into it, which is like kind of a, a, a would be a fascinating part of this story when it gets told through history. But the question really is whether the president withheld or threatened to withhold or implied he would withhold U.S. military aid, which was already promised and part of law in legislature that he had to give Right. Like his job as the executive was to execute on this law of providing meaningful military aid to Ukraine. Did he withhold it or threaten to withhold it 
until he got what he wanted out of Ukraine, which was this investigation into Joe Biden. So one, it may not matter. And two, I'm not going to speculate too hard on whether he did or whether like what he said does or does not constitute as, you know, this withholding in exchange. But if he did, then it would probably be abuse of power on top of breaking the federal election law because he would have wrongly used his power as president to do something he's not supposed to do, which is withhold that, you know, there was no, you know, the 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 claim would be that there was no meaningful reason to withhold that aid. And if he's doing it in exchange for political dirt, that that would be abuse of power. His claim. Um, so so one, did he withhold the aid? Was there a freeze? Yes, there was a freeze on the aid. And his response to this is that he was freezing the aid specifically because the rest of the coalition, the U.S. coalition in Europe, which is supposed to be giving aid to Ukraine, weren't giving their fair share and that he was going to freeze the aid until the EU ponied up and put their fair share in because and, and you know, this, of course, goes with a longstanding narrative by the president that the U.S., you know, the U.S. like carries the burden for Europe. Uh, we talked about that, how in NATO, uh, you know, you, Trump has successfully pressured NATO countries to spend their their legally required 2% or treaty required 2%. So this is actually part of a narrative, an ongoing narrative for him. But he said that he said that that was the reason for the freeze was to pressure European powers to pay up. The representatives from the EU in this case are claiming that the EU has actually been on schedule and fully on schedule consistently and therefore that the claim doesn't make sense. That's what's going on with the whole quid pro quo thing right now. And Eric, when you talk about aid, you're talking about military aid to Ukraine, right? Yes, weapons. Right. And we did a show on this recently. It was back in July. Again, links in show notes where it was an entire episode about how essentially the U.S. has been going really hard on Russia throughout the entire Trump administration. And a big reason for this has been the lethal military aid that the U.S. began to supply to Ukraine in the last several years, which is the first time the U.S. has done that in the course of the Ukrainian civil war. The Obama administration, despite Congress approving lethal aid to be delivered to Ukraine, the Obama administration chose not to do so. So the U.S. has begun giving... Uh, tens of millions to hundreds of millions, depending on if you're counting aid delivered versus aid approved to the Ukraine over the last couple of years. And that is new compared to the last administration. Yes. And it is it is one of the things we need to keep in mind here is that it is like it is a dumb thing that the president will like if they have the scope from Congress, if they have the optionality from Congress, so there's a difference between approved and required. But if they have the optionality from Congress to not necessarily give the aid on a given schedule, they will use that aid as a tool of diplomacy, right? That is a very common thing for the United States, whether it's military aid or food aid or monetary aid, whatever the aid, like we will use, the the United States will use that aid as a lever to get something out of the country that we want or get them to do something, right? So sometimes this is like make humanitarian changes. Sometimes this is like get on board with a specific policy, right? Like that is, it is part of the art of diplomacy to use something that we give a country as leverage to get something that our country wants, right? To get something in the interests of the United States. And whether you think that is like excessively real politic or not is not relevant here because 
the question for the president is whether we froze that aid in the interests of the United States or whether we froze that aid in the political interests of Donald Trump in order to get something he personally wants to help him win an election. Those would be two very, very different things. One is totally fine and normal. One is super not. Yeah, and it does get complicated here, right? Because there's some consensus right now that providing lethal aid to Ukraine is a good thing. But during the Obama administration, there wasn't because people were afraid that providing lethal aid to the Ukraine would lead to an escalation in the Ukrainian civil war and draw the U.S. further into conflict with Russia. So this has kind of gone back and forth, you know, depending on who supports providing legal aid to the Ukraine or not, based on who's been in power and which party that is at a given time. So, you know, I might have an opinion on whether it's a good or bad idea to provide aid to to Ukraine in order to, you know, uh, defend it against Russia. But two parties have made different arguments about it, even in recent history. So that is some degree of ambiguity. And this is where this is where more details in the transcript um, and where other people's involvement will matter. So, right. for example, Mike Pence may be wrapped up in this. We have an article where there is some there is some evidence to suggest that Vice President Mike Pence may have been the one who delivered the like much more literal ultimatum of, hey, you're not going to get this aid until you open this investigation for President Trump. Right. Like if that is ever like stamped and written somewhere and framed, it's going to that that will clear up the ambiguity of why the aid was frozen, at which point it becomes much more likely to be an abuse of power charge. And in particular, the like, this is why the next step in this process, which is to like open an investigation and subpoena stuff by the House Judiciary Committee is so important and why the there are now as of this morning, the fifth, there are now two whistleblowers in the intelligence organization in the United States who have stepped forward making making the same claim that the president, one, put this pressure on and two, withheld aid in order to support his pressure to to get, you know, to get the investigation he wanted. Um, so these two whistleblowers have stepped forward. They are presenting evidence. The House Judiciary Committee needs to collect evidence from other parts of, you know, presumably the intelligence committee or community, the state department, the white, you know, the white house and their staff, the vice president, all these different players may know things, may have documents of things, may have recorded things. It turns out things like just turns out like as Richard Nixon found out the hard way, lots of things get written down and recorded. Uh, Now Nixon recorded his own stuff and was, you know, basically recorded like, like, ooh, I'm going to do this evil crime, 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 crime. I'm totally going to do it. Ooh, I did it. I'm so happy. Right. And like put that on tape. I don't know why he put that on tape, but he did. But it turns out a lot of things get written down in the White House and the president doesn't have a lot of privacy. So there's going to be a lot of paperwork that the House Judiciary Committee is going to have to go through. So now let's get into the actual process of impeachment and how it works, how it's worked in the past. So a president or any civil officer, meaning someone working high up in the executive branch, such as a secretary or a judge, both of whom are generally appointed by the president, can be impeached by Congress for, quote, treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors, end quote. Pretty vague, huh? Well, we know from Nixon and Clinton that obstruction of justice and abuse of power fall into that category or one of those categories as does perjury. And in in Nixon's case, 
breaking federal election laws. You know, that's what happened with the Watergate scandal and the Saturday Night Massacre. But because Nixon resigned before Congress could actually hold a vote on that, the precedent there, not the president, the precedent is a little bit weaker. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, and so we actually need to look back to there's there's, you know, in the Constitution specifically, there's not. That's all we that's all it says about high crimes and misdemeanors. But there's actually a lot of supporting paperwork to define what that means. One of the things we want to note right now is that the high part of high crimes decisively refers to the person doing the crime thing and not the crime itself. So it doesn't have to be a particularly bad crime. It just means that the person the person who did the crime is high. And, uh, and by high, I mean, of course, you know, their position within the government and not how baked they were when they committed the crime, right? Right. We'll reiterate. The president committing the crime is committing a high crime because of his position, not how many joints he smoked before exactly, doing it. Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> it turns out that when President Clinton infamously said, I put it up to my lips, but I did not inhale, that was actually not part of Congress's, <laughs> Congress's desire to, to determine whether he committed a high crime or a misdemeanor. Well, so, what, um, what were we talking about again, yeah, guys? <laughs> so... So just to clear that up, right, like if anyone's saying like, yeah, it was a crime, but not a high crime, eh, it's a high crime. If it's a crime by the president, it's a high crime. Boom. So and as usual, actually, Wikipedia has a great article on this. Like, so thank you to all of the constitutional lawyers and other folks who like run around editing Wikipedia. You guys are great. So one of the so how do we define high crime and misdemeanor? Well, one of the former Supreme Court justices, a highly influential one named Chief Justice John Marshall, clarified in the Supreme Court during the Nixon Nixon Watergate scandal, where a lot of this stuff got codified for the modern era, he said that, quote, high crimes and misdemeanors is a term of art, much in the same way that other like terms in there's a reason it's capitalized, right? Like there are other legal terms like they have meaning that is all packaged up in those words and that. This term of art was written when the Constitution was written. It was written based on the precedent used in British Parliament for centuries. There's a reason that the founding fathers chose that term. And that term had been used repeatedly in British Parliament for a very long time. And so they and and they also clarified uh, this in the Federalist Papers that they wrapped up the meaning of high crimes and misdemeanors with a whole lot of particular stuff. So there is some clarity here. 
A quick summary from Wikipedia, which is not official and not exhaustive, says that the charge of high crimes and misdemeanors covers allegations of misconduct by officials such as dishonesty, negligence, perjury of oath, abuse of authority, bribery, intimidation, misuse of public funds or assets, failure to supervise, dereliction of dirty, unbecoming conduct, refusal to obey a lawful order, chronic intoxication, which people have actually been removed for in the United States, and other offenses such as tax evasion. Offenses by officials also include ordinary crimes, but perhaps with different standards of proof and punishment than for non-officials on the grounds that more is expected of officials by their oaths of office. This actually means that the, the bar is lower, right? More is expected of them due to their oaths of office. The bar for committing a crime is lower because of that. The word high refers to the office and not the offense. Indeed, the offense may not even be a breach of criminal statute, so not even technically a crime under U.S. federal law. So the Harvard Review says, quote, the majority view is that a president can legally be impeached for, quote, intentional evil deeds that, quote, drastically subvert the Constitution and involve an unforgivable abuse of the presidency, end quote, even if those deeds didn't violate any criminal laws, end of second quote. So... You actually don't even to be impeached. You don't even have to have technically technically committed a law so, or uh, committed crime. a crime. So, for example, like chronic intoxication is not a crime. Now, public intoxication is, but if you are uh, as one judge, one federal judge was removed by Senate, so they're impeached by Congress and removed by Senate for chronic intoxication because being drunk all the time made them a bad judge, right? And so. Remember here that we're talking about criminal behavior or high crimes and misdemeanors, but the bar here, the the point of impeachment is to remove someone who is terrible in the opinion of Congress, not throw them in jail. So this also means that like technicalities and loopholes, right, are not as, you know, are not as like you can't use them because the whole point is like, if you abused power and lied repeatedly to the public, it's like, look, you abused power and lied repeatedly to the public. Congress has the right to get rid of you for that, like kick you out of office. They're not going to throw you in jail here. Um, and that's actually why we'll talk about the process in a second here. But that's why, like, that's why it just takes a vote, right? That's why you don't need a jury of your peers and all this other stuff. And there is actually a book on all of this as well. It's not exhaustive, but it's a guide. And it was used for both the Nixon and Clinton processes, and it's going to be used for whatever Trump or whatever process Trump faces. It was prepared by the House Judiciary Committee in 1974 based on English law precedent, as well as the Federalist Papers, which is a collection of essays by Hamilton, John Jay, and Madison around, uh, you know, after the revolution advocating for a... Uh, federalist government instead of a confederation which prevailed at the time and this book has been updated and revised repeatedly by the congressional research service up to and through 2015 and it's called conveniently impeachment and removal all right so if we've got some high crimes and misdemeanors that congress wants to talk about what happens next well once the investigations have been opened, and they have been, Nancy Pelosi has already opened the impeachment proceedings, there's essentially a three-step process. One, investigation by Congress. And in this particular case, it's going to be the Judiciary Committee. The Judiciary Committee will subpoena lots of stuff, documents, testimonies, and whatever it needs to in order to gather evidence for Congress. Following that, the House votes. 
And all that it requires to pass this stage is a simple majority of those voting. And that's an important distinction because it means that abstentions from voting don't defend the president. So if a bunch of representatives decide to just stay home in their home state that weekend and not vote, their votes don't count against. It's a simple majority of those who are, you know, president D.C. voting. And that simple majority will uh, impeach a president by formalizing the allegations of high crimes and misdemeanors listed in the articles of impeachment. Then the House votes on each allegation, each article individually. And we'll go through the Clinton impeachment as a case study here. But then the third step is there's a literal trial in the Senate, which uh, Clinton went through and Andrew Johnson went through and a bunch of judges went through. The chief justice of the Supreme Court, in this case, Justice Robert, Chief Justice Roberts, uh, will preside. Senate will vote. Senate will have their own hearings. Right. It is a trial and they will vote on whether to convict. Conviction requires a two thirds supermajority, 67 votes in this case. And if the president or vice president or civil officer is convicted of any of these crimes, they are removed from office. So there is not a third step or a fourth step here, which is, okay. we've convicted you. Should we remove you from office? If you are convicted of a high crime or misdemeanor by the Senate, boop, you're gone. And Andrew Johnson, who uh, who's the president who served after Abraham Lincoln was murdered from uh, 65 to 69 before Grant came in office. And Bill Clinton were both formally impeached by Congress. Neither was removed from office. Thirteen judges have been impeached, eight removed. Trump happens to be calling for Senator Mitt Romney to be impeached, presumably, as far as I can tell, because the two of them don't get along. And that happens to not be a thing that the Constitution provides for. So so you can't impeach your own senators. It's not a thing that is done. So just to confirm, uh, Trump has not accused Mitt Romney of any baked uh, high crimes. <laughs> no, no. As far as far as I know, he just really doesn't like Mitt Romney, and that it's a it's a pretty it's a it's a pretty typical strategy for him, right? Like it's the no use strategy, right? So so Romney is Romney is making some noise that you know he probably is not going to support the president through this. He's probably going to support impeachment, and so Trump is saying, well, you well you should be impeached, and that seems to be the the extent of it. So how did it work with Clinton? Well. Contrary to popular belief, which has somehow, despite everything, remained, Clinton was not impeached for having sex in the White House. In fact, Monica Lewinsky had pretty much literally nothing to do with Clinton's impeachment trial, and everything about her involvement was ruled as immaterial by the commission that was investigating it. If this is a surprise for you, just remember that you, too, get biased and curated versions of events from your tribe. Paula Jones sued President Clinton in 1994 for what she claimed were repeated sexual harassments while Clinton was still the governor of Arkansas. And in 1997, the Supreme Court ruled that the suit could go ahead while Clinton was still a sitting president. So this all starts not from Monica Lewinsky, but from Paula Jones suing him. And Ken Starr was the independent counsel. So think of the uh, Robert Mueller analogy here in charge of investigating for the federal government. So sometimes the House Judiciary Committee leads it. In the case of Bill Clinton, Ken Starr already did the investigating on behalf of the Justice Department. So what's interesting is actually it was a you know Clinton-appointed head of the Justice Department, Janet Reno, who got Ken Starr to do the investigating. Like this was this was his own person here because the system was doing the thing it's supposed to do rather than caring about personal loyalty. But uh, Ken Starr 
has this investigation. He creates what is called the Star Report, and he finds that during the during the lawsuit, which Clinton was defending himself against that Paula Jones had brought to him during that lawsuit before a grand jury, the president lied about multiple things, including Lewinsky, right? And this is where the scandal comes from. Um, Lewinsky was, because of some phone calls between Paula Jones and Tripp, uh, between Jones and Tripp, um, Lewinsky came up and as sort of part of a, like part of building a broader case, Lewinsky was subpoenaed into that lawsuit to give testimony about whether she had was involved, you know, in an affair with the president. And that's where the scandal part came out because, you know, it, it came out that they had had sex in the White House. But it more importantly, Ken Starr found that the president had lied to the grand jury about multiple things and had actively worked with various witnesses, including Lewinsky and Tripp, to uh, coach them to hide evidence and lie in court as well. So the, what came out of that were two counts of perjury, one count of obstruction of justice, one count of abuse of power, presumably because kind of the wording around that was when you're at when you're the president and you're running around asking people to lie for you and hide things, then you have power and, and you're abusing it uh, just by being the president, asking people to do that. Right. So the star of Fort Ken Starr uh, was released to Congress. Congress deliberated, debated, and then they voted. And Congress indicted the president on one count of perjury and one count of obstruction of justice. The other two charges failed to get an indictment. At the time, most Republicans voted in favor of impeachment, but some Democrats also voted in favor, and some Republicans did vote against it. At the end, of course, Clinton was impeached, and as we mentioned, was not convicted in the trial in the Senate and wasn't removed from office, of course. If the Senate had found Clinton guilty of charges, he would have been removed from office at that point. Yeah. And, and they didn't in part because it, it, you know, it may be the case. And so I'm going to speculate a little more than I normally would here. It may be the case that what Senate decided was that like, yes, the guy committed perjury. Yes, the guy obstructed justice, but it was around a pretty unrelated thing. It had nothing to do with like being the president or, or having a negative impact on the United States in some way, right. Where like, you know, chronic intoxication as a, you know, as a, as a judge, does have a negative impact on your ability to execute your oath of office. And so they, they, you know, that, that may be part of why they chose not to, not to go ahead with it. And this is where things can get political, of course. So is politics going to be involved in this? Like, absolutely. Right. And probably like, depending on which tribe you're in, you've already decided what should happen. In fact, you've already wanted a certain outcome since day one, right? Since, since the day the guy showed up, you have either wanted him to be impeached or not be impeached. And you probably feel exactly the same way. Um, as you did. But one of the things we need to keep in mind about impeachment is, um, you know, you hear us say this about the Supreme Court all the time. Like the Supreme Court is not a legislature. Their job is not to decide if something is good or bad. It should be law or should not be law in terms of like how you or they feel about it. They, they decide whether the law is like legal, under, like violates other laws, higher laws, including the Constitution. Impeachment is here to decide, like, is a person doing things in the office that like violate their oath of office, subvert the constitution, are criminal. And like, generally speaking, how, do, you know, does the stuff that they're doing damage the United States, damage the office, damage the role, make, you know, et cetera. And, and so what the kind of like reconsider community can like be this little shining ball of light on is we can, we have the option in our own minds and hearts to not get, 
all kinds of caught up about this in terms of like, oh, I really want the guy to get impeached. Like, because I hate him, I want him to be, you know, let, let's get rid of him. Let's find an excuse to get rid of him. Or I really like this guy. I love his policies. And uh, if we look at this, you know, we saw this, I saw this tweet of like a map of the United States showing who voted for whom by county that Trump released that said, try to impeach this, which like, you know, turns out square feet is not how we count elections anyway. It's by person. But um, so the whole thing is dumb. But but like it and, you know, he didn't even win the popular vote anyway. And and but like how popular he is or is not is is also irrelevant. Right. So like even if you're like, oh, but he's like so popular, which is, you know, which is its own kettle of fish. But and like so he shouldn't be impeached or like people like him or he got a lot of electoral votes. So he shouldn't be impeached. Like that's irrelevant as well. The only thing that is relevant here is, is the guy doing things in office that that meet the threshold that the complex, the complex but expansive threshold we talked about, which is high crimes and misdemeanors. And does it have some sort of negative impact that, you know, that that like should basically like should is he doing things that he should not as president do that no president should do? Is he doing things that like were it someone else were it someone with the other jersey on you would not want them to do? Right. Um, that you think would be wrong and high crimes and misdemeanors if they did it. And and unfortunately, like even with the Clinton, you know, the Clinton case in a like much less hyper politicized environment, it got very political. It was, you know, it was, of course, like Republicans, like Republicans going after him as much as they could. There was uh, the Ken Starr report included a lot of details, uh, a lot of kind of like gory details about like the scandal and the sex stuff that got released to the public that had like nothing to do about whether he lied about stuff. It got ugly. This is going to get ugly, which, which, you know, which bites. But um, I think the, like the only way forward for the United States is that like throughout all of this, that, that like there is some center that holds on that holds to like the, the noble purpose of this part of the constitution and the, the heavy burden that Congress has to go through in making this decision. And, you know, I hope everyone listening is is like a little more amped up about about like caring about that and supporting that. So let's be that center, guys and gals. If impeachment does happen to Trump, what's going to happen? Well, he can't pardon himself. And that's actually a loophole in the Constitution that is explicitly closed by Article two. If Trump is removed from office by the senatorial trial, he cannot do anything about it. And if President Trump is removed then when he's not president, if the U.S. then chooses to press criminal charges as opposed to the political process, which impeachment is, then no longer being the president, he won't be able to pardon himself. Those are kind of your options. So, again, as much as we don't like to chase the news, like this is a big thing. We wanted to give you some guidance on how's it been done in the past? What's the bar? Uh, what's the process? Hopefully you've learned something, something today. Um, hopefully you can kind of this will help you like keep your head above water through all of the punditry and and political BS that's going to surround this because you know unfortunately to a large extent Trump is such a divisive figure that there are large swaths of the United States as well as the you know the the political machines that support them and that they support that they've they've already decided what they want like long before the evidence of the case comes out right and um, and what that means is that people are going to be playing like sports, right? It means that you're going to have one team 
just like, you know, doubling down on like, no matter what we see, let's impeach him. And one team doubling down on like, no matter what we see, like, this is just a hoax by the Democrats and it's just politicized. And, you know, they've been looking to get, and, and, you know, they've been looking to get rid of the guy for a long time. And, you know, the last time they tried, it didn't work. And it's just another, another, you know, blatantly politicized attempt here to, to unseat a legitimate president. And, it's going to get ugly. So keep your heads down, folks. It's going to be quite the ride. So in particular, as you watch this unfold along with us, don't let the pundits do the thinking for you. Please pause and reconsider. This is Eric signing off. This is Xander signing off. We'll see you next time. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.